Rig is going to come up and teach. Let me open this with a word of prayer before we get started, because everything will roll quickly after that. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, just to be back at Lakeside. Being away is a reminder of the privilege I have of serving and living with the brothers and sisters here in this body that you've raised up here in Clearwater. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you gave many from our church to travel overseas, and I thank you that you brought us back safely. And I thank you, Lord, for everyone who has gathered this morning. I pray that as we are taught from your word, we'll be encouraged, and I pray that as we are here as your people, that you will see fit to glorify yourselves through our lives and through our worship. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about being adopted in the family. And again, obviously for me, that's a personal statement. But before I get into it, I did hit something. It popped up on Facebook, I think. No, it was a different thing I was reading. It was just something I just want to bring up to you as just an element to think through. It doesn't really necessarily tie into this morning. But I thought it was a poignant point and from somebody who was phenomenal in our biblical history and and the church history. But Spurgeon's last words from his pulpit dated June 7, 1891. He said, depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or serve Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish, and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him, blessed be his name, and I have had nothing but love for him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below, if so it pleased him. His service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once, God help you, to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. I thought that was amazing. The fact that focus on God. Now last week we talked about the fact that those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ were adopted into the family of God. We were moved from the family of Satan to the family of God with a new life. A new father and a new inheritance. An inheritance that is eternal and will not perish. This point was so well put by Paul in Romans 8:14 through 17. 
He says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now we walk through some points. We said that first, the biblical evidence of our adoption is John 1.12. I mean, there's much more, but John 1.12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We covered also the second point with that we have a new relationship. First with God and with those of the family of God, fellow believers. To amplify that piece, we have a new relationship with one another. Now that's key for this morning. I might this morning stomp all over our toes. I'm stomping on mine. So don't think I'm looking at you and chastising you. I'm chastising me because I am in the battle of trying to apply the scriptures to myself first. So maybe the best approach to this morning is don't have the inclination to say, well, gee, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Or why don't you kind of listen up? No. We just need to look at ourselves, nowhere else, and go deep down inside and examine our life and our response to one another. There are more than 50 one another's in the New Testament. They are phenomenal. Now, if you've ever gone through the list and looked at it, you will come away going, I am horrible. I might get 10% of those, but probably not well. So it's a hard point. So what amplifies our relationship is 1 John 4, 7 through 11, where it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love knows not God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, underscore, we also ought to love one another. How well do we do that? Remember, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us in that way that he gave, we also should do the same. How do we? How well do we do that? I'll tell you, I'm kiboshed on the whole thing. As I keep looking at more of my life and my action, my interaction with the body of believers, and I am not close. Now, that is the issue. We ought to love one another. And it's hard. I mean, you, you just go back and, of course, all of us here, right, are at Sunday evening and we're enjoying 
1 Corinthians. Actually, that's a hard book to enjoy, right? Because it's a misfit church. What are they doing? They're not loving one another. They're suing one another. They're bickering against one another. It's a constant emotional battle. It's an upmanship. Later on, Steve's going to get to the point where they all gather together for the meal, and they're so piggish about them little personal selves that those who are the day laborers that are still in the field working have not gotten to the meal yet, but they've already chowed down and eaten the meal. And what's left? Nothing. Do we do that? Do we think more highly of ourselves than we ought? I always thought it was fun. Part of our family business was a boys' camp. We took boys aged 8 to 16. We took about 100 of them all summer for eight weeks. And they'd line up for meals outside the dining hall. They'd line up in, in rows by a cabin, okay? And you, it was kind of fun watching because they'd kind of like, you'd get you know, like a series of bells that told you, you know, about half an hour before you got 15 minutes, you're, you know, now it's the dinner call or breakfast or whatever. And they're all like running to be at the first so they can get in first, which really made no sense because everybody went in and you didn't start eating until everybody was together. So getting in, and you had a place that you sat anyway, so it's not like you're, you're trying to get position, you know. And then once everybody on the table is served, then you start eating. So it's not like the minute you get your plate, you just start chowing down. So it made no sense. And I love watching my dad do this. <laughs> and he'd do it randomly, so it wasn't like guaranteed. But he'd kind of observed, you know, the high-speed runners that got to the front of the line, you know. Now, dad was a Christian, so he understood that the first will be last and the last will be first. Well, he always messed with them with that one. He never said anything about it. So he says, all right. This line right here, all right, ready to get in? And he's like priming them, and they're all like, oh. and all of a sudden he'd go, okay, turn the, turn the line around. You should see the face of the kids at the front that just killed themselves to be there. But that sticks in my head to sit there and realize, how often do we do that? Run in first, be first. I thought it was interesting, too. Anytime we'd do something, we'd always say, all right, ladies first for the food line. And you get some guys going, I really wanted that. Well, what are we doing? We're thinking about our self. And we see this a lot. We do it a lot. And it's sad if you actually watched yourself during the day, you know, you could actually third person kind of thing up, you'd realize you're doing that a lot. Me. Me. But if I don't get this, I'm not going to get this. How many personal pronouns did you use just then? You think about two, keeping your head. God demonstrated his love for us. So the key point is, is to get to know every element of how God demonstrated that love. The biggest and largest point you know is that he gave. God's a giving God. Is he kind of new at this business? Not at all. Go back to the garden. What did he give Adam and Eve? Just barely enough to be subsistent in their life? No. You have 
everything except for one tree. So what? One tree. What's that going to do? You're going to starve? Not in your life. And he made everything for them. So he is a giving God. So you're never going to come up short. It's amazing how many times in our own thinking we come up and go, yeah, but if this doesn't happen this way, then I'm not going to catch yourself. I'm not going to get it my way, get, get it first. Well, he got a promotion. Praise God. Pray for them. Well, I didn't get the promotion, right? Good. So, what's God want you to do? Have the promotion or not? Not. Okay, move on. Pray for them. Romans 5, 1 through 8. Let's go ahead and turn there because it's take us a little time to get through it. But take a look how God demonstrated. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have attained our introduction by faith in this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and hope, and, and hope does not disappoint. But the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Notice the flow of the amazing text. First, we have peace with God. Something we didn't do, but God did. He gave us a relationship that is wrapped with a relationship with peace with him. It is by grace, so we exult in hope of the glory of God. We don't exult in us. It's not about us. There will be tribulation. But the best thing about the tribulation is it builds us up. It strengthens us. It grows us stronger. I mean, we do hate the first part of James 1, right? But you understand that in James 1, James starts out and says that you need to what? Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. He also warns you don't short circuit and short, you know, do a shortcut to get around it because you're not going to get the endurance. You're not going to get the perseverance. You're not going to be built up. Press through. And who do you press through with? You press through looking at the face of God. We were ungodly, but God's visible evidence of love towards us is that Christ died. He showed us his love. We have a great debt paid by that great cost when Jesus died. This clearly presses 
on all of us that we have been shown the greatest of love and given the greatest source of love, the Holy Spirit. Now what do we do? Keep in mind, though, that we have to talk about the point of unity, the body of Christ, believers, the church. This is probably the most ugly topic at times. I was thinking in my head going, okay, what about unity? No, we're together. It's fun. It's nice. You know, we show up on Sundays and that's unity, right? Right? We we sing the same songs. We listen to the same sermon. You know, it that's unity, right? Nope. That's physical presence. That's about it. Sorry. Think about this fact. We are still sinners, yet we are called to have unity in the church with one another. So now that's the rub. That's the gotcha. We're sinners. And there's got to be unity. That's going to take work all the time. I like this. One had, had questioned this. He says, How can we, as sinful and selfish people, gather together, not with a forced unity that denies differences, overlooks difficulty, or compromises the message of the gospel, but with unity that perseveres the message of the gospel and acts as a compelling testimony to its value? How can we respond to sin in our midst without descending to gossip and slander? How can we trust our leaders, but still recognize that they are sinners too? How can we love people who make us feel uncomfortable because they are so different from us? How can we honestly critique an imperfect church without grumbling? Ow! I read that and hated it, okay? (laughs) How do we do this? We're sinners. I think last week we talked about, remember the the church series of churches I saw in Mississippi, where one was a split from another one was a split from another one was a split from on the same road? Where was the unity? Where was working through the issues, working through the problems? Well, I don't like it, I'm just going to leave. Is that unity? Well, I didn't like what he said. Did you talk to them? Did you work through it? Maybe you had a misunderstanding. Did you work through it to stay and be unified? No. It's easier to leave. Yes, I know it is. But that's not what God said to do. The church is a living, breathing testimony and witness of God in all around the world, and we are the mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, 4. We're that mystery. I love it when Paul talks to me, he says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the gospel. That's what Steve's been talking about. You're talking about two absolute opposite groups. The Jews and the Gentiles hating of one another. And by God, they're to be unified. 
that junk is gone. That it be one body. So how do we do this? This is the hard part. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Maybe I'd recommend grabbing this one, putting a you know, little dog ear on your Bible or whatever you got to do, and put a note there, post it. I don't care. Put it on your... Memorize this. Third word is your biggest pounder. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, working hard at it, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You and I are to work at being one with another. There's no bickering. You're working through it. We are commanded to do this. And oh, by the way, the testimony of those four churches in their splits was an absolute abomination against God because it destroys the gospel and the testimony of God and the testimony of the gospel. It obliterates it. When you and I are not unified with one another, we defame God. We take away his glory. That's critical. And when the outside world looks and sees disunity in the church that is supposed to be the testimony of unity, we're destroying it for each other, for other churches, for other believers around the world. Humility. (laughs) And I just wrote this. It's not about you. No, it's not. You're not on the list. It's nothing. Humility says it's not about me. Who cares? Gentleness. I thought this way. Go with sensitive thinking. Be cautious what you say. Gentleness. Be kind. Slow in the responses that you have. Careful. Lifting up. Building up one another. Patience. Hey, <laughs> this is the worst one. If you want to see how patient you are, take a look at your spouse, your kids. How do you respond? Have you ever responded patiently? That's a dumb question, okay? My statement is patience. It's not your time. It's not yours. You don't have to worry about Getting on to the next thing. What if some meal's not served right on time? What do you do? Do you get all upset? All upset? Impatient? Mad? Angry on the inside? What have you just destroyed? Unity. You've sinned. What if someone doesn't get something done right when it's supposed to? Really? Is it that big of a deal? You know, if they didn't get it done and, they, and you drop dead right then, what does it matter? You ever thought of it that way? Is this a big issue? No, it's not a big issue. Patience. So something doesn't go right. Your prideful little self is being bumped. I'm sorry. Show tolerance. Allow each to grow as God is growing them. 
We're not all on the same spectrum. We're not moving at the same pace. We're not getting the same stuff. Some learn differently. Have you ever noticed that? Some are visual learners, as they say. Some are tactile learners. Some are auditorial learners. As believers, we learn differently, too. We move differently. We're at different levels. I always loved it. Rick Holland always kept reminding us, because we're always like wanting to get the students to move, 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 and go, go, go. And he always kept hitting us in our head going, remember, any progress is progress. Oh, yeah. See, if they're moving towards Christ, what are they doing? They're moving towards Christ. Is it at our pace? No. But is it at where God wants it? Yeah, of course it is. Now, here's the hard part. Work hard. Being diligent to preserve unity. Work at it. If you've got an attitude towards someone else, you need to work at it and correct it. I've told you before, I had... On high school staff, we had a guy that was on staff that worked with the sound board, and he was the most quirky thing around. And he drove me nuts. You know, all of a sudden, God slapped me up the back of the head and went, he's your brother, and you're to do ministry with him. So get to know him. So I did. Wow. I would have missed out a truckload of stuff. And I was also the best man at his wedding. That's me working hard to work it through. To make unity happen. It just doesn't pop up on the shelf and you grab it. It's work. Sometimes it's really hard work. And a lot of times it's work that we have, we're fighting ourselves against. Let me bring this clearly home. The text of Scripture is clear in verses 12 and 13. It says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all, all attain. It's amazing how the, the word keeps bringing this word up to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Unity is not something that we do today and or sometimes, but it is the proof of the abiding love of God in our lives. Remember, 1 John, that hard-hitting text, 1 John 4, 20-21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So if there is disunity and there's not love for one another, what can anybody ascertain about you? You do not love God. That's hard. That's a smack. That's why sometimes we take unity way too lightly. But John helps us to understand this is a critical point. If you love not your brother, you don't 
have a love relationship with God and God's love does not abide in you, short statement, you're lost and you're unsaved. Now that should cause you to trigger on the inside and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want this to be an identifying mark on my life to say that I'm a non-believer. Well then, what do we do? Remember, to love one another is not an option. It's not on the list going, ah, I get to it maybe. It means what? It is a command to love one another. So why should we pursue this unity thing? John 13, 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you. Now this is a great example list again. You, you read the Gospels, you're going to see how Jesus loved. And then do that. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Remember we talked about the fact that our love for one another and our unity is a global testimony of God in us. Now I thought it was kind of interesting. Something I've always heard in my head. Ancient times, it was noted that these Christians, these Christ followers, were really unique in the culture. And historians identified there was something different about these people that was contra to the culture. One said, at no other time in the history of Christianity did love so characterize the entire church as it did in the first three centuries. And Roman society took note. Tertullian, reported that the Romans would exclaim, see how they love one another. Oh, okay. The historians are popping up on that one. Justin Martyr sketched Christian love this way. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else now bring what we have in a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of other race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Do we? Do I? Clement, describing the person who has come to know God, wrote, He impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. That that was an amazing... Okay, wow. He likewise considers the pain of another as his own And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he does not complain with joy. You ever wondered why in the offering we never ever say your tithe? That was a 10% temple tax 
There is no such thing as tithe. Jesus never ever talked about a tithe. What did he say? You give how? With hilarity. You go to God and say, how much do you want me to give? Not, I have a percentage I must keep. That's legalism. You know, if 10% is 100 bucks, but Jesus says, I need you to give 200 today, what do you do? 10% or what Jesus said? All right, here's some things to think about. This is just something to mull over and chew. What are some of the things that destroy unity? Now, this list is not, not inclusive, okay? It's not a comprehensive list. I mean, I started punching through this and went, wow. And I started realizing this thing could just go page after page. And I drive you all bonkers. I drive me bonkers, too. Here's a good one. This one's really a stickler. It's easy to do. I catch myself at work a lot and going, mm, gossip. What's that? That's something simple. Talking about somebody who's not present and not talking positively, you're talking what? You're tearing them down. That's backstabbing. What else do we want to call it? It's a sin. And it's way too easy to do. Because someone else is bad-mouthing somebody right next to you. What's the inclination of our sinful nature? Join right in. I catch myself all the time at work and just stop it. What do I do? i got to get up and get out of there, okay? Time to go to the restroom. Whatever, you know, just go. Clicks. I've seen that a lot, a lot here. What's a click look like? Well, you have a table group of people. Maybe you got eight people on a table. And you got what? About six people over here having this roaring conversation and everything, and it's a total isolated conversation that they're only going to be having with one another and everything. What are these two people over here doing? They're ostracized. They're pushed out. They're alienated. We do that here. I just saw that recently. That's scary. Clicks are bad. Clicks say, we're better than you. We're a tight group. You, we don't like. That's an isolationism. That's being your own self-worth. And isolation, that's another big thing. Isolation, if you're trying to isolate yourself from the body of Christ, you're killing yourself off from unity. I know a lot of times you don't see it from the stage, but it's amazing to be sitting back here and the of amen comes out of the preacher and what's hap what, what goes on back here. I had no idea the Olympics and the track stars were involved here at Lakeside, but there's this mad dash heading out the door and splitting as fast as somebody can. And I'm like, I always go, what's going on? Don't they want to fellowship? Don't they want to spend time with one another? Or how about coming in late just before the message and then leaving like a rocket? What are you doing? You're cutting yourself off of what? Fellowship and the unity, that's building. You've got to work at it, folks. Well, I feel uncomfortable around groups. Believe it or not, so do I. It's nerve-wracking. But you push through. Why? Because we're family. We've been adopted. Non-involvement. Well, I just come for church service. And split. 
that's not it, folks. Our Sunday school class, we get a chance at the supper sixes, is that what we call them? That's been fun. Because I'm getting together with folks I've really never gotten together before, and that's on me, okay? But that helps, that helps us to do it. How about being critical? Is that a unity builder? How about judgmental? This one's got a subtitle on it. Pressing your preference. That's judgmental. A lot of times you push your preference as being the real issue, and it's not an issue at all. It's kind of interesting. I grew up in music. Some of it I really didn't like. Okay. Mom was an opera singer and an English teacher. Those are rough combos. I'd wake up in the morning to mother singing an aria. That'll drive you a headache. Mother had me do an opera. Mother had me doing drama. Mother, uh, Not exactly my choice. Someone says, let's go to the opera. <laughs> okay. If it's to spend time with you, I'll go to an opera. Okay, I'm going to have to study about the opera. That's what you do. But my preference is something else, but it's not necessarily everybody's preference. So what? Some people like rock and roll. Some people think rock and roll is of the devil. Somebody just wants organ music. Some people only want pianos. What are those? Those are biblical issues? Everybody say yes or no. no. That was not convincing. <laughs> no, if that's what he wants me to say, I'll say it, but that's not true. Well, it is true. How about this attitude? Better than thou. <laughs> it's the only way I could think about it. I always remember mom saying that. Oh, he thinks he's better than thou. And I'm like, what does that mean? Better than me. You know, stuck up, haughty. How about bitterness? What's bitterness do? Believe it or not, it rots you on the inside. It doesn't do anything to the person you're bitter against because they're probably not even aware of it. Who's getting rotted? You are. And it, uh, folks, if you look inside, it's grown. It's not this little thing. It's grown. It's almost taking you over. You ever seen someone look bitter and see it on the face? I sometimes say, out of the face, the heart speaks. Envy? They got something that I wanted. Me. Does that me thing again? Jealousy. Kind of sits about the same pile. They've got the greater ministry. It looks more showy. I'm doing toilets. Praise God. I had a guy when I was an engineer. It, it, it just shocked me. I was a young guy. Stupid, naive, whatever. And I was complaining about, you know, they're having us do other things at work that wasn't part of our job description, whatever that means today. And I thought it was, he was a contractor. He just looked at me and goes, you know what? All pays the same. What are you talking about? If I'm engineering or I'm, they want me to wash, clean up the bathroom, and do the toilets, it all pays the same. So what? Do it all under the glory of who? God, not you. When we start grumping about that, it's about our glory. You're stealing the glory from God. 
Pride, that's a big one. Arrogance. You think you are the top end. Really? Who cares? We can be very arrogant about our skills and things that God's given. Whether we've studied it hard or not, that's not a point. Remember, the contra to humility is what? Arrogance. Who cares what you've got, know, have? If you're not giving it unto God and giving it to those around you with humility, it's useless. How about picking favorites? That's dangerous. That's hard to not do, okay? Because there's some people we relate more quickly to, right? we got kind of like more connection to. But you have to remember, work hard at unity. It's called a good old boys club. It's a group inside of a group. Or it could be groups inside of a group. That's killer for a church. And it happens in Lakeside. I don't want to say it, but... That happens. We tend to have our little favorites and we dialogue and we leave the peripheral completely disconnected from anything that we're doing. We don't involve them and pull them in. We basically are, what? Pushing them out and that's disunity. We're impatient. You know, the list goes on. So how do you combat this? Humble yourself by being in the Word and seeing just how desperate you You need the love of God through Christ in your life. Not as an attachment, but as a deeply indwelling element of every aspect of your life. Learn the one another's of the New Testament. I've got a list that I keep constant everywhere I'm at in my electronic form. That's a hard list to go through, but it's well worth going through. That's the work hard. Forgive. I just saw a post from... This week from uh, Vody Bakum on Facebook, believe it or not, you know it's not okay. Don't don't get into that. I love his statement. This one, you chew on it for a while and you go, ooh, ow, 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 ow. Forgiveness does not mean one forgets the offense, but that in spite of the memory, one erases the debt. Isn't that true? We don't forget. That's the steel trap that we've got that's called our brain. But we need to erase the debt. Great advice that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 19. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers, Be diligent, or work hard, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. For it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. If you've ever been around gangrene, never mind, it's, it's bad. Among them... Biblical record of two people not having any unity, Hymenaeus and Philetus. 
Men who have gone astray from the truth saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset, upset, underscore, the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. We've got a lot of work together. We've got to work hard. Unity is key. It's key not because it's anything that is a requirement. It is a commandment by God that we have unity with one another. Why? Because God's love is in us. And again, back to the evidence. If the unity is not there and there's bickering, there's all kinds of things, it means God's love is not in there. If God's love is not in your life, what does that mean? means you're not saved. And what does that mean? If you're not saved, you're destined to hell. Separate. Do you think there's going to be any unity in hell? <laughs> not from what we've got descriptions of. But in heaven, that's where we'll finally get our unity together. But we're called to be unified with one another. Cut off the bickering. Cut off the gossip. And spend time with one another. Get to know one another. Break your own barriers down. Make yourself uncomfortable to spend time with someone who might be a little bit different, but you might get a little bit shocked. They might be just amazing in something exactly what God wanted to use in your life to lift you. Bear one another's burdens. Consider others more important than yourself. Those are the one another's. They're hard. But that's what we're to be a task at. We're adopted into God's family. And now he said, because you're my family, we need to be together in, in unity. Working together. Do I have sinful issues? Yep. Does it combat against unity? Yes. What do I have to continually deal with? My sin. And fellowship with one another, be with one another, encourage one another. They're hard. But God will give us the strength through the work of the Holy Spirit for us to do that. We have to be at the task of this. It's the work that we'll do until we see Jesus face to face. Let's pray. God, we're at war with ourselves seriously all the time. And that war inside of us with the sin that so twists us up, it also bleeds out and it also causes us to have wars with one another. Those who have been fellow redeemed by you, by your blood, the fact that we would actually even consider ourselves at odds with one another is almost unimaginable. And the fact that we have been paid with a great price, price that never ever can be equaled or even exceeded. For it's the blood of Christ that has been shed abroad in our hearts that has been building us up and that we are in the point of needing you so much to help us to be unified with one another, to go out of our little comfort zone to spend fellowship and time and to make sure that any of the issues that we have with one another are eliminated. We need to erase the debt that we have to others. Help us to do that. Guide us. Build us up. Grow us up as one unified body that is a full testimony of who you are and that the gospel may go out clearly from all places to know that 
the world knows who you are in us. God, help us and grow us. We thank you so much for your love and patience towards us that we will learn to grow more with each other. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.